Welcome to season four of Copy Room Conversations, releasing imperfection and normalizing joy. My intention in sharing these precious humans with you is to inspire you to let go, let down, and remember that joy is love without inhibition, and love without inhibition is joy. With joy, we will not only survive, we will remember what it is to thrive, and so will our kids. Big thanks to our sponsor, Dirt Path Publishing, a company dedicated to publishing works with social impact. They are also the publisher of my book, Nothing's Missing, released earlier this year. For more information about my book, visit nicoleluciani.com. And for more information on Dirt Path Publishing, visit dirtpathpublishing.com. In the meantime, and always, welcome to the copy room. I came to know Shauna through her Instagram, Teach for the Culture. The first thing I ever saw was a t-shirt that said, joy and learning must coexist. Something I've taken on as a bit of a mantra, if you remember Peter's episode earlier this season. Her merch was so cute. I loved seeing new things as she added them every couple of weeks. What I found myself doing, however, was sticking around, not for her merch, but for her message. Straight, unapologetic talk to teachers in service to our kids. It didn't take long to know that Shauna was my people. And when I decided to dedicate a season to normalizing joy, I thanked my lucky stars for the DM feature on Instagram, and then again when she returned my message with an acceptance. Shauna issued several calls to action in this episode that I wholeheartedly co-sign. And if your legs get wobbly, go to her merch shop and get yourself a t-shirt or a hoodie to remind yourself and others just what you're here to do. Serve our kids with joy, which means also serving them with the love they deserve. Welcome. I'm so happy you said yes. Thank you so much for saying yes. Thank you for having me, Nicole. Let's just start back at the beginning. We haven't met before, so my intention in having you on this season, which is a season oriented to joy, is to really get your message extended even further because I feel like my whole thing with you is I came for the merch, but I stayed for the message um, because I uh, I love what you put out. I love that it's unabashed. I love that it's unapologetic. I love that it centers on joy and liberation and loving our kids and loving ourselves. And it just, it feels like the exact thing that we need as teachers right now. So let's start with a little backstory and tell me where you're from and a little bit about your growing up and how you came to this thing we call teaching. Sure. So um, again, thank you for having me on. Uh, My full Mm -hmm. name is Shauna Brown. I go by S. Brown a lot. I, Mm -hmm. I was raised mostly in Connecticut, but also in New York, and I went to school in Philadelphia. Okay. Um, I am the child of um, immigrants from Jamaica, and so mm-hmm. I consider Jamaica my other home as well. I go back often as I can, mm. and I am the daughter of an educator and an entrepreneur, and so here I am, both an are. educator <laughs> and an entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. Um, so I knew from age three that I wanted to be a teacher. Um, and that has, you know, always been my dream and my goal. Um, by age 11 um, and 12, I started a babysitting company. 
I made business cards. I handed them out. Oh, um, so cute. I would <laughs> volunteer, you know, at the YMCA and in Sunday school. And so even as a child, I enjoyed working with younger children. Mm-hmm. And so it's just kind of always been a part of me. In high school, again, you know, I still knew I wanted to be a teacher, but I started to develop the my kind of my why behind mm. the kind of teacher that I wanted to be. Mm-hmm. Um, I went to an extremely diverse high school in Connecticut, but again, some of the, the same things that I talk about now are things mm-hmm. that I experienced as a high school student and a middle school student, mm-hmm. and so that kind of drove me to disrupt some of those things and to yeah. change um, the experience that too many youth were having, um, mm-hmm. including myself, um, mm-hmm. in school. And so, again, it was a very diverse high school, very diverse middle school, but the disparities were um, glaring and mm-hmm. very obvious. Mm-hmm. And so as a student um, and as a student leader, um, I organized with other students to start speaking up about what we wanted to see within the school. We were able to lead professional development for teachers, you know, at 16 years old. Oh, my God, that's amazing. <laughs> and it was like, and, and for me, it, it was absolutely amazing. And I can remember um, sharing you know, some of my experiences as a student, as a, as a black girl within the school. And I remember looking at a couple of my teachers and they had tears coming down. And that was mm. like the first time I realized, like as a child, like, wow, they actually have feelings. They actually do care. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> and it was just, you know, but I'm glad that, you know, I was given the opportunity. But again, you know, there were, um, you know, a lot of the, the counselors, some of the students, they tended to kind of push out were students of color, as well as students from lower economic backgrounds. There were glaring disparities within, you know, who took which courses or who was um, kind of recommended for which courses. So again, lower income and students of color were mainly in the lower tracks, whereas white students and students from wealthier backgrounds were in the higher tracks. Mm -hmm. And so all of those things kind of just drove me. And I was like, you know what, when I become a teacher, when I become an educator, these are some things that I'm going to work on changing. Mm. But lo and behold, I didn't realize that I would meet those same challenges like 10 years later as an educator Um, and that I would see some of those same issues kind of resurfacing and they're kind of still here now. Mm -hmm. But again, I started back then and that was kind of the start of my journey as an um, educational advocate was um, from age 16 and just wanted to see change within the system. That's amazing. So you were you were born on fire, as they say, <laughs> <laughs> which is amazing. So let's um, let's just go like right to the heart of it. And if you if it's OK with you and because I get nervous when we talk kind of around something that there's a lot of white folks who are going to be like, oh, yeah, that's right. That's right. And but they don't really know what you're talking about. So let's go to the heart of the matter, because you said you're seeing it 10 to 15 liters as a teacher. In my experience in working with teachers, particularly teachers of color, it's like a two-prong attack, right? Because it's on my humanity as a learner and kids who look like me and my humanity as an educator and many teachers who do not look like me. And so one of your uh, t-shirts says something like disrupt the narrative. And you've got um, the one I just ordered was unlearning. Tell us, like, let's just go to the heart of the matter and be direct about what it is, some of the things that you're talking about. Sure. So I like to say, um, and and thank you for, you know, referencing back to my t-shirts. I like to say 
my teachers on the syllabus. And so I yeah. have a shirt that actually says that. Yeah. The disrupting deficit narratives text that you referred to is all about kind of reframing the way we think about kids, especially, you know, black students, students of color and students from um, economic, economically suppressed backgrounds. Mm-hmm. The narrative is often what the students lack. Mm-hmm. Right. And so it's all about, you know, oh, they come from these areas. They're coming without this. Um, mm-hmm. They're coming unprepared. Um, they're coming from homes which are broken. And so I've noticed in my years in education, a lot of the narrative around specifically black students has been that they're coming from a background which lacks as mm-hmm. opposed to looking at the rich background and all the things and assets which they bring. There is, um, you know, whole research and theory around um, kind of the, the deficit mindset in education mm-hmm. um, as opposed to the asset-based approach. Mm-hmm. And so I really advocate for the asset-based approach. So looking mm-hmm. at um, the brilliance that students bring, looking at the gifts that they bring, looking at everything they bring to the table, which sometimes many teachers, um, especially teachers who are white and or middle class who have not had a lot of interaction with black students mm-hmm. believe about, you know, um, black communities. And so mm-hmm. the disrupting deficit narratives is about that one. So the narratives that we um, tell and share about our students and their families, but it's mm-hmm. also about the narratives and the things that we believe about ourselves. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of times I think teachers or educators will say, you know what, I'm not really equipped for this. I can't do this. I don't know this. So I'm just going to stick to what I know. Mm. That to me is also a deficit narrative. Like you have to be able to lean into what you don't know and learn and unlearn mm-hmm. <laughs> totally. and just shift the narrative around that and shift the narrative around being like, oh, I'm not really a, a victim, but like, well, I never learned it. So what can I do? It's like mm. kind of like giving up. Yeah. Um, as opposed to saying, okay, I learned this. These are things I need to unlearn, and this is what I need to do. And just also decentering yourself as the expert. Because yeah. as ed- we're, we like to be, um, I think a lot of us learn that we have to be perfect or that we have to be the expert. You don't have to be the expert. And right. so there's a wealth of knowledge in the classroom. There's wealth of knowledge in the people um, that are around us. And so it's, it's leaning into that as well and disrupting the narrative that um, we lack, that our students lack, and that nothing can be done about it. Mm, God, that's so powerful. So um, I've always believed, and I'm guessing that you are the same, that as teachers, really our primary job is to learn. And I think that every child or family that we encounter that's hard for us is here to be some sort of spiritual teacher for us. So when I started teaching in 1994, I had a lot of issues around conflict. So of course, I got every kid who wanted to be in a fight, right? Because that's just like God's way of saying, all right, we're going to deal with this. So I'm wondering when you think about your time as a teacher, what have been some of the hard lessons that you've had to learn? Hmm. Oh, that's a great question as well. So one of the, I think when I first started teaching, I kind of went in with the thinking that um, I didn't know how much what a teacher did actually mattered in terms of student outcomes. Mm-hmm. Like I knew a teacher would be there to guide, they're there to teach, but I didn't know as much like the direct correlation between what I am putting in, you'll see come out in terms of student outcomes and achievement, especially within academics, but socially as well. Mm-hmm. And so that's one of the things that I really had to learn. And it was actually learned in a, in a great way. Like I remember um, just my approach to literacy when I taught um, sixth grade. 
And I remember the literacy facilitators coming to me and saying, look, like showing me the data. Look how mm. much your kids grew. Like <gasps> you did this. And I was like, oh. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> so I was kind of, you know, I, I always, I was just like, oh, well, you know, it's teaching. But I didn't really realize that, that direct connection to the outcome of student learning and so seeing that and especially seeing it in a positive way was very eye-opening for me and that's one of the things that I learned like very early on as a teacher that that what you do matters yes and and the way that you do it matters right your Instagram has this way about it that it's like the ultimate warm demander right I love when people come at you about grammar and you're like no let's full stop (laughs) Let's talk about language. I love that. I love that. But it never feels like shamey or condescending. It's just like, here is the truth. Circle around, everybody. Let's get on board. Um, I wonder, has how has teaching strengthened other parts of your life? I mean, you seem like you are a very strong girl anyway, very strong student anyway. But I'm guessing it's if it hasn't strengthened you in other ways, it's probably deepened you. So tell me about how, what teaching has done for you as a person. Absolutely. And I love this question as well. So first, I think, so teaching influences um, all parts of my life. And mm-hmm. then parts of my life also influence teaching. So it mm-hmm. kind of really goes both ways. You kind of mentioned my, my Instagram, and that's kind of how I am as an educator all around. Yeah, yeah, I can like think just how you are. Yeah, yeah, I love it. Like, so I'm going to infuse some, all right, we're going to we're gonna have time to reflect. I'm not going to shame you, but we're also going to reflect. We're going to learn together. We're going to laugh together. Mm-hmm. We're going to, um, you know, culture is going to be a part of it. And so I just, that's just how I operate. But mm-hmm. I think one of the ways in which teaching has influenced my life outside of the classroom mm-hmm. is my ability to see deeper kind of into people and have a better or deeper understanding of what people may be going through. Mm. I feel like a lot of time people who are not educators or people who don't work with um, a lot of people on a daily basis, there's some things that they may not kind of catch on to in terms of, okay, for example, person sees you at the red light, um, they blow the horn at you, you're not moving and they explode right? Mm, mm-hmm. Like there's something else going on. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> a yeah. lot of times as, um, you know, a person who does not work with students all the time or with people all the time may just see that person as, oh, they're just being a jerk. Mm-hmm. But no, sometimes there, there's something else going on that caused that. And it's kind of teaching kind of helps me um, see things from different perspectives and navigate mm-hmm. situations, looking at the humanity of a person as opposed to just what their actions were, but knowing that there's something deeper underneath. Totally. I would also say that I mentioned that things outside of the classroom also influenced me as a teacher. And to mm-hmm. me, that's like everything. Like I literally will be sitting somewhere and I'll see something that um, could be applied to the classroom or applied mm-hmm. to learning. Mm-hmm. And I've done, you know, I've taught sixth grade through high school. I've been a consultant. I worked at the district level. I worked as an assistant principal mm-hmm. at one point. So like I'm seeing like all of these things from, a variety of levels and almost mm-hmm. everything I see outside of the classroom helps to influence um, what I do as an educator mm-hmm. and vice versa. Mm-hmm. So again, just having a, a better understanding of people, what they may be going through, situations, how people may end up in certain places, the potential sometimes that may be untapped within um, people. I see that all the time outside of education. And I'm like, wow, this person would have been really great at X, Y, and Z. Mm-hmm. Or um, had they been told this in school, 
Um, mm. You know, these are some of the ways they may have been able to envision themselves. Just, you know, a variety of things, especially with people li- people's lives and um, yeah. um, humanity overall, I'd say. Yeah, 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 yeah. It sounds like you make a real, or maybe this is just how you are naturally, you're not um, separate. You, f- you feel really integrated to me. Like the way you do one thing is the way you do all things. Yep. And all things contribute to all things, right? Yep. You're just like one whole human. Has that been something that you've, you've always kind of been like that? Or did that come with kind of maturity and age? And I think it has. It's I've always been very, um, even from like a, a young age, like very reflective and very... Like, I, I look deeply into things a lot of times, mm. even from, you know, like, again, from a young age. Mm-hmm. I think that was one of the reasons even that in um, high school, I started to see the disparities that, you know, I'm in a school with 3,000 other students. Nobody else was like seeing those things in the same way or articulating them the same way. And I'm like, nope, yeah. I see this. We need to take action. These are the patterns. Mm-hmm. And this is kind of where we need to go. And so, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I think I really do like who I am is who I am right yeah. like that's not yeah. to say that I'm static uh-huh. but of course just like at the core uh-huh. yes this is who I am as a person and it shows up in the classroom and schools and boardrooms at state level like it shows up at all levels mm-hmm. and that's one of the things I do believe in as well as just being your authentic self mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that really has helped me as both a person outside of education and as an educator as well. Yeah. Well, and it, it, it's a permission slip to your students to also be themselves, right? And um, you feel very liberated to me, like um, like your parents did a really good job raising you to know who you are and what yes. you're – and that one T-shirt I love so much. Um, it's a great day to be a beautiful black woman or something yes. like that. I just yep. – to me, that just feels like, damn, I just want to sit with her and like absorb some of that. <laughs> and I bet, um, I bet you're, I'm sure for sure that your students, they carry that, they stand up a little bit straighter themselves because you probably give them that permission too. Thank you. And and I appreciate that you said like my parents instilled that. That is absolutely where that came from. Yeah. Like a hundred percent. And I'm, you know, grateful for that every single day, mm. just because they were two people that, did uncommon things unapologetically. Mm-hmm. They're both um, very much trailblazers. Mm-hmm. They both very much believe in like, you know, you having an understanding of culture and self mm-hmm. and confidence. And just like, they always did stuff that was kind of like, all right, I have this idea. I'm going to do it. Damn. Like, yeah. <laughs> we were the family that, you know, at a time when a lot of people, especially like within the black community, don't don't like like pets inside the house. Yeah. Like my mom had, she allowed like, she allowed like our birds to fly around the house. Uh, <laughs> people are looking at you like you're crazy. Yeah. <laughs> and just and just my dad and his like entrepreneurial pursuits and always focused mm-hmm. on community. And so a lot of those things were instilled in me mm-hmm. as a, a young person and a child. Mm-hmm. And so yes, I do definitely carry that into the classroom. And I try to, you know, model the same thing for my students mm-hmm. while they're with me. Like, you can't do anything. There's nothing that you can't do. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you have to believe in yourself, love yourself, mm-hmm. know who you are. And that's really like the foundation for me as just confidence and being able to speak your truth and walk in your truth mm-hmm. and just remain true to yourself. Mm-hmm. My first day of teaching, um, when I started out, 
that was the the piece of advice my father gave to me. Mm. He said, just be yourself. Mm. That was the one piece of advice. And I didn't know how powerful that was back then. Mm. And I was like, be myself? Like, of course. But I didn't realize, you know, what he was really um, saying. Especially walking into a system that wasn't built for all kids, that wasn't built for all teachers, that wasn't built for the century, right? Um, right? Maintaining your sense of self is a real act of protest, right? Of rebellion. I wonder if you have any battles with like shoulds or perfectionism or, uh, I mean, are you so seeped in who you are and so grounded that that doesn't really play in or, or does some of that play in, in your teaching? Tell us about that. So I would say, like, I want to say, yes, it does, Mm -hmm. but not really. That's so great. Like it's, (laughs) that's so (laughs) great. Tell, tell me more about that. Like, so before the whole research around the growth mindset came out mm-hmm. and and all the, the, the literature on that, mm-hmm. that was how I operated already, mm-hmm. like, within a classroom, both for myself and for my students. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't about, like, celebrating an achievement or a hundred or being perfect, but it's always been about the journey. Mm-hmm. And so I've always encouraged that with my students. Like it's about the journey. We cheer each other on, we build community. Mm-hmm. And that community is centered around, all right, every single person is starting at a different place, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. we're moving and we're moving together. Mm-hmm. And we're celebrating each other, we're clapping for each other, we're pouring into one another as we move along. So perfection was never a thing mm-hmm. for me personally, mm-hmm. but it's all about you know growth Mm-hmm. As long as you're moving forward, as long as my kids were moving, as long as we're um, kind of moving together, mm-hmm. then we celebrate that. Mm-hmm. But never just about being perfect. Mm-hmm. It's about moving and, you know, discovering who they are. That's beautiful. So do you think that joy liberates or does liberation bring joy? Or maybe it's both directions. What do you think about Ooh, that? I love it. I love it. I love it. Because <laughs> this is something I always think about. Okay, good. I really think it's in both directions. So I think having a sense of joy mm-hmm. is liberating. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, through liberation, you can find joy. joy. Mm-hmm. So I think they're really and truly intertwined. Mm-hmm. I think they're um, both extremely powerful together. Mm -hmm. Um, I often say that, you know, liberation also begins in the mind. Mm -hmm. Because you can have, you know, you can find joy in certain things or joy within, but then not fully believe in yourself. If you don't fully believe in yourself, you can't be liberated. Yeah, yeah. So, like, they all kind of work together, like the confidence, the joy, the liberation. Mm-hmm. And I think they're really interconnected and um, just powerful and beautiful all together. As you're talking, I started to think about the infinity symbol and how really, like, one feeds the other, that feeds the other, that feeds the other, feeds the other. That's really powerful. What ways do you feel like we can start to normalize joy. Like what if someone were to come to you and either just watch you or talk with you about, I, f- I feel like my kids aren't liberated. I feel like there isn't joy. What, what kinds of things would you show us or tell us or both? I think first it definitely begins within. Mm-hmm. It also um, starts with, um, you know, letting go or unlearning the feeling that things have to be perfect, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that you have to be perfect or that, you know, everyone around you or things have to go perfectly. Mm-hmm. 
I believe that, you know, there's no such thing as like a perfect human or perfectionism within each of us. Mm -hmm. And so each of us are perfectly designed to be who we are. Yes. But the outside markers and metrics that say, okay, in order to be perfect, you must do this. In order to be perfect, you must achieve this. Mm -hmm. To me, those things are false. Mm -hmm. And so letting go of the idea of perfectionism Mm -hmm. definitely helps to liberate the mind, liberate the cells. I think it begins within, Mm -hmm. and we have to be able to model that for our students. And joy looks different for everyone. Mm. And so what something that may bring someone joy Mm -hmm. um, and the way it manifests within them, the way the outward expression of it is going to look different in every single person. Mm. And so it's making sure we have um, just space for that, too. Like you can't script joy. Mm. You can't say this is what it is or this is what it is not. Mm -hmm. It is really and truly different um, for each person Mm -hmm. and they experience it in a different way. Mm hmm. So when you say it starts within, I couldn't agree more with you. Um, I remember uh, sometime during the pandemic, I I don't know what made me think of it, but it was like, I've kind of forgotten what even brings me joy. Like, I I don't even know that I know that. If I had a day to do whatever I want, I don't even know I would know what to do with myself. So when you're saying it starts within... Uh, is it things like that, like knowing what brings you joy and then putting that into action? Is it also this notion of, like you said, releasing perfectionism and just let you be you, like your dad's advice, like just be yourself? Is there is there more to that or is that essentially kind of the essence of it? I think the heart of it and the essence is knowing yourself, mm-hmm. spending time with yourself outside of like a schedule or mm. a script or mm-hmm. following a curriculum guide or a pacing guide mm-hmm. or outside of like daily to do's at home. Mm-hmm. What is the thing that like, that helps you to keep going mm. that it, to me, it's like finding a part of your humanity mm. and not just, you know, being the, the perfect quote unquote person mm-hmm. that is getting things done. But it's, it's, it's that, that inner feeling Mm -hmm. to me Mm -hmm. and it's and it's I know especially for black communities it's like outside of what everyone is trying to paint you as or describe you as or outside of the oppression what is the way in which you resist that Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so what is the way in which in a world that says you're three-fifths of a human Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. or that you're less than Mm -hmm. It's holding on to things that make you human and whole Mm. and loving. So you're centering the counter narrative almost like you're claiming it. And, and, and I'm also hearing you talk about like space, right? We, we don't need to be, you you hear like bell to bell instruction, right? And you've got your 25 things that you're supposed to, it feels like in your classroom, there must be breathing space that the kids can kind of let down, that you can let down. And not that you're not accomplishing, but that you're just creating some space. Is that something you do intentionally? A hundred percent. And actually, um, again, like as a middle school teacher, I did that kind of on my own, even as a a new teacher. Mm -hmm. I created space for that, um, space to reflect, space to, you know, every day after lunch, 
And even though these are like, you know, middle schoolers, yeah. every day after lunch, we're going to take a few minutes to just rest. Oh, God, and I love quiet it. Mm-hmm. With the lights off. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, a lot of them hadn't experienced that since like kindergarten and right. pre-K where you just take a nap time. But it was just a quiet time. Mm-hmm. And if they didn't get like, wait, we, we need our time. We need Totally, you know, yeah. What about it, you know? So, yes, like, and again, as humans, like, we, we need that. You know, mm-hmm. we have we have different personalities. There's extroverts, introverts, but we still need the time to just just to be quiet for a few yeah. and just rest. Yeah. Um, we would still, you know, in addition to what's in the scripted curriculum, we need time to discuss. We need time to process. We need time to respond to what's going on, not just in the world, but in um, people's lives. You know, in my class, it was, again, focused on joy as well. Mm-hmm. And when we got our, like, district assessments back and our school assessments, um, my students were at the top. Mm-hmm sometimes even across the whole city. Mm. And I was like, well, what are you doing that's different? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> Treating them as human, yeah. allowing them to rest, allowing them to talk, to process, to quiet time, like all of that. Yeah. Focusing on joy as well, which is each individual's, um, each individual person's loves and interests. And, yeah. you know, creating space for that too. Not just saying, you know, that belongs somewhere else or okay, you could do that. Yes. Home, but let's, let's talk about it. Let's bring it in. Yes. I and once that. you bring those things in, I, I found that the students were more engaged and had like a deeper connection to what we're doing together mm-hmm. within the classroom. Oh, for sure. And it sounds to me also like you've created a collective, like there's an identity about your classes and a real belonging. You know, the first season of this podcast was about belonging and how as teachers, we need to cultivate that for ourselves and for each other. Otherwise, we're not going to stay. Like, why would I stay if I don't belong, right? And it seems like you you do that for your students when you talk about pouring into them and, and celebrating one another. In what ways do you see or not see that among your colleagues? Do you, do you see any elements of joy and liberation in your colleagues? Do you, any of that collectiveness? Tell us about the people you work with. I would say like, you know, absolutely. So I've worked in Philadelphia, um, Brooklyn, um, Hartford, Connecticut, for a, a magnet district in, in Connecticut. And so I've been in a lot of um, different schools, different levels. And I would say I've, I've seen it in different levels at each school, mm-hmm. but it's also very individual. Um, but in each case, it's very much that the teacher has helped to, to kind of cultivate the space within the classroom mm-hmm, mm-hmm. because it can be totally different within one school mm, right mm, you could mm-hmm. you know go down the hall it goes to a different grade level goes to a different classroom and there's different feelings and so again as you said at the beginning like what we do as teachers and the classroom teacher it does matter mm-hmm. not only for academics but for you know the teacher sets the the pace and kind of helps to cultivate the climate for the whole classroom mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and so it definitely does come down to the teacher and I've seen a variety um, I've also seen some, you know, that were that were not mm-hmm. joyful, liberating. Mm-hmm. Um, my first experience as a student teacher in North Philly, um, I was working with a a teacher who was going to retire that year, and I remember a little girl had, um, you know, we took the kids to the restroom. And a little girl had, she was chewing gum, mm-hmm. and the teacher told her to put it on her nose. <gasps> She's like, "You're not supposed to be chewing gum." put it on and she started yelling at her and screaming to put it on her nose oh my god and I'm here like you know I'm, I'm 21 and just graduating I'm supposed to be learning from this person yeah 
But again, just because of um, <laughs> who I am partially, I was mm-hmm. like, oh, no, no, mm-hmm. no. Like, if that was my child, <laughs> uh-uh. Uh-uh. <laughs> we can't do that. No. She's like, what do you mean? They're not supposed to have gum. But yeah, so I've seen, you know, the whole gamut yeah. of, like, best practices and practices that I would never, ever, ever want for any child mm-hmm. but it really comes down to, to the teacher mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. I, I asked this question of my own curiosity I, t- I taught school for over 20 years and now I'm doing teacher education and part because it was like well I feel like I've learned this teaching gig you know 20 years is like PhD in practical you know teaching mm-hmm. oh, yeah. um, but I didn't want to be an assistant principal because to me it that felt joyless Mm-hmm. And so I, and we're going to have somebody else on in the season who is an assistant principal and is like the most joyful human I've ever met. But mm-hmm. I wonder how, what was your experience like? Because you're dealing now with adults who really need to remember that this job is joyful, yes. really need to remember that our kids are not robots. They're actual human beings. Um, and that can be really hard, right? Yes. So I love that you said that. And I love that you said you're dealing with the adults that really need to remember that this um, profession should be joyful too, right? Yes. And so I think my approach, so it was a you know middle school assistant principal. Mm-hmm. My approach was you know very similar to my approach in the classroom, mm-hmm. even with the teachers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I found that, again, we started to really develop that community, mm. that sense of, yes, it's okay to be you. Mm-hmm. It's okay not to be perfect, but we are going to move together. We are going to grow together. Your, your kids are going to grow as well. Yeah. If there are issues going on in the class, we are going to like look deeply at them and and help to you know see what's going on mm-hmm. um, without being judgmental, but you know very solutions focused. Mm-hmm. At the same time as being like collaboratively focused or collective focused, sure. we're going to um, you know look at these things and and you know know them out and I found that even as an assistant principal I think my approach was to be curious also Mm -hmm. not to let go of my joy but to also be curious Mm -hmm. so all right what's going on looking at each person individually and looking at how it can help to solve the problem and be of service to others Mm -hmm. while also not forgetting that yes joy is important as well Mm -hmm. and so for me personally like I found ways to bring in some of the things I love mm-hmm. into the job, into the school, mm-hmm. so that I could remember that joy yeah. and model that for teachers and for students. Okay. Um, for example, like I loved, at that time I was like big into like Zumba mm-hmm. and dance. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I'd go dance with the kids, Zumba mm-hmm. with the kids, go in gym, I'd go play basketball with the kids. Um, we would have like math nights. We had a um, you know college awareness day where everyone wore their you know college gear, mm-hmm. hands-on activities, and so anything that I you know I'm like a, a math geek too. So anything that I think I was like it. just like fun and like um, hands-on uh-huh. brought it in. We did it either with um, the teachers or with um, parents, with students, with everyone. Yeah. And so just bringing that like bringing things I love to keep me joyful as well well that's a huge lesson right there in and of itself right to to remember like if you don't love it and you're trying to teach it that's going to suck for everybody (laughs) right so there is something about standards and the importance of like you know fundamental knowledge but two things one push back on what is what what is fundamental right and what who, who gets to decide that and secondly um 
just to remember that like I just saw on your Instagram the other day something about science and like science is everywhere and like just yeah. this idea like approaching with curiosity I think that's yeah. a really important lesson in joy let's talk about your Instagram and your your shop tell me what brought you to that space? I mean, okay, dad's an entrepreneur. You've always had a little bit of entrepreneur spirit. <laughs> spirit. Um, did the idea come like, I need to make some extra money, I need a side hustle? Or did the idea come because you really wanted to spread this message? Or maybe did it, was it just like, oh, look, both of these things happened at the same time? Yeah, it was actually like, it was a message, mm -hmm. 100%. So I look back even the other day to my very first post mm. on Instagram, I was 2018 on this account. Mm. And the, you know, the very first post says, this is a space to celebrate joy, mm. joy and teaching and joy and teaching and learning mm. and in learning. And that has always been like, um, again, part of the way that I grew up mm -hmm. just like, okay, learning is fun. There's going to be, it's learning all around. It's not just in the classroom, right. but it was, you know, started, out of joy mm -hmm. um, and out of wanting to build community mm -hmm. and out of wanting to share and get other ideas and connect people and connect with people. Mm -hmm. That was the whole um, kind of crux of it. Mm -hmm. um, and then I started by designing one shirt. I actually, I designed just like a logo for the page and I was like, oh, I want this on a shirt. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then I made it into a shirt and I was like, oh, other people could have this shirt. <laughs> yeah. And then I started with that one design. Mm -hmm. And then as I went along, I started designing, um, you know, other shirts based on educational philosophy or just messages I want to get out or messages that I thought could help to spark a conversation through fashion, through the T-shirts. Mm -hmm. And that's how it kind of just started. It was like, you know, I even my shirts, I don't make a lot of profit on them. Right. It's just... But the, the message and the community are what are the most important things for me. Yeah. And that's how it's kind of always been um, with it. So it was just something on the side. It also, um, I found that even, you know, at the early stages of the pandemic and through the pandemic, that this is this helped to bring me joy. Mm. Like designing merch, mm -hmm. interacting with people, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> seeing people wear the merch. Like mm -hmm. all of those things helped to bring me joy as well. That's so great. And so, so you're feeding yourself so mm -hmm. that you also are prepared to feed others, right? To continue. Yes. Yeah, that's so Absolutely. lovely. That's got to feel really good when you're just scrolling along and somebody, some stranger has tagged you in, in a t-shirt that you made that they're wearing. Right. And it's like, what an amazing gift that is. It is, it is, it is, it is. And, and, and you know, again, like to me, the culture shop, mm -hmm. the name of the shop, it wouldn't be anything without the people who support it without the people who buy the merch and spread the messages. And what I love is when people come back to me and say, Hey, you know, I wore this shirt here. Mm -hmm. It was able to spark a conversation about this mm. or people commented this or just, you know, getting to hear people's personal stories mm -hmm. where they work, what they've been going through and how either the accounts or the community mm -hmm. or the merch has helped them. That's great. That really does it for me. Oh, fuels you, I bet. Yep. So Instagram and TikTok, right? <laughs> yep. Okay. And it's teach for the culture, not teaching yes. for the culture. Because when I that's was right. Googling to do my research for today, I found this whole other thing. And I was like, no, that's not her. Teach. Yeah, no. no. <laughs> it's just teach for the culture. And then yep. the shop, um, you, they can find pretty easy on, yep. on Google The culture well. shop, too. The culture shop. Yep. I love it. So let's 
kind of gear down the last two questions we ask all the guests. And one is we have a playlist on Apple Music that's uh, uh, called the Copy Room Conversations playlist. And this is a song that if you want to have a good day of teaching, you want to get yourself in a good headspace, what song do you turn on for yourself? So I would, so there's lots of them, but I'm going to go to um, Bob Marley. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I'm going to represent my Jamaica. Good, good, good. <laughs> I'm going to go to Bob Marley, um, Don't Worry About a Thing, mm. or um, Coming In From the Cold is called. And so I think Bob, like Marley helps me to get through things. Mm. Mm -hmm. It's not like hype music, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but it's like, to me, it's like it feeds my soul. Mm -hmm. It's like soulful. Mm -hmm. And so I would say um, Bob Marley, I'm going to go with Don't Worry About a Thing. I love that. That's so great. <laughs> and perfect for everything that we've talked about today. So the last thing, the name of this podcast is called Copy Room Conversations because that was my, those to me were my favorite conversations in the morning before school and everybody's, you know, there's like a buzz, right? And, um, I found that we had quick but really intimate conversations in the copy room. And so I'm wondering if, you know, I'm cutting strips of paper, you're punching holes, someone's running copies. As you are, as you're exiting for a good day, what are you going to leave us with? What do you, what's your quick tip for, for a really good day for us? Ooh. So I would say, remember your why. Mm. Remember to do the things that you love mm -hmm. and take care of yourself. Mm -hmm. I think without those three things, it's hard to care for or pour into our students. So you just have to remember who you are, why you're doing what you do, um, and you're taking care of yourself also. Mm -hmm. And, of course, find what brings you joy. Mm -hmm. I love it. And hold on to that. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Thank you for sharing your time with us in the copy room. Whether you're on your way to school, on your way home, walking your dog, or doing your household chores, I wish you a day of letting down and letting go. Remembering your birthright is to operate from a place of joy, even if your heart's broken. Perhaps especially when your heart's broken. Thank you to Dirt Path Publishing for producing this podcast and to you for listening.